Hey everybody, this is Ann Doherty, co-founder of Illum Advising and host of Current, an energy podcast with Illum. Today, I'm really excited to have you listen in on a conversation that I had with Paul Francis, founder of Kidget, an electric vehicle charging company that is both a charging and charger OEM or original equipment manufacturer, as well as a services company. Paul is unique in that way, and there are very few uh, similar companies in the nation. Our conversation today spans a number of topics, from Paul's founding of Kidget years ago, well before anyone was talking talking about electric vehicles, to his experience as a Black founder in tech, to his uh, work giving back to community and the ways in which his experiences growing up, his family, and all of the mentors and folks that supported him throughout his career have shaped Kidget and shaped his point of view on what it means to give back and contribute to the green energy economy. So with that, I'll stop talking and give you this opportunity to listen in. So I'm here today with my friend and fellow energy entrepreneur. Yes. Yes. Paul Francis, who's the founder of Kidget. Paul, do you want to talk a little bit about Kidget and tell folks listening about your organization? Yeah. Kidget is an acronym. It's a make-believe word uh, for Keep It Green Tech, Keep It Green Transit, and Keep It Green Team. We were... Initially, back in 2000, she's 9, 10, keep it green transit. And we made the pivot and we're Kidget now because it just wouldn't fit on the URL. And the dude who has Kidget dot uh, keep it green transit dot com was trying to sell it for $10,000. Oh, wow. So Kidget it is. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. All right. So talk to me a little bit about, um, so the folks who are listening know uh, some of the work that you're doing, some of the projects that you have going on. I was asked yesterday, even after posting and telling people, they go, what do you do? Yeah. We manufacture electric chargers. We manufacture chargers for electric cars. Um, we're an OEM. So our design, our metals, our software is proprietary, we're vertically integrated. It's all of ours, in-house, American-made. We don't white label our chargers. We get our metals made in California. Our software is our own engineers. And you won't see any other design or anyone else with a logo that meets, that matches our charger. Okay. Yeah. So you don't white label at all? No. Maybe some of the boards that are part of the internal electronics. Yeah. But we're shifting off of that. And we're going to start sourcing our own chips because that's a hard one. That's a big deal now. And our own PCB boards in New York. Okay. So we want to make sure it's all American made, keep that theme going because what we discovered, quality control, cost is comparable, if not um, better in terms of savings when you're looking at trying to make your stuff abroad. Yeah. So I think as Americans, we've caught up with manufacturing development when it comes to cost structure. Okay. And it's helped our business. Great. Yeah. That's awesome. So we met you and I at Shades of Green. Now, pandemic time were like factored in what now, four years ago, five years ago? Was it 2018? Five years ago. Wow. Yeah. So five years ago. That's a long time. Yeah. Don't say that. So it feels even worse. <laughs> it feels like we're getting old. We can't say it that way. So, I remember watching you come on stage and you were like super charismatic. You were doing a keynote delivery and I think I had to follow you, which I think was the worst. I think you were first and then I had to get up and speak after you, which sucked. <laughs> but um, but it was fun to see you. And I was really struck by how much you like owned the space on the stage. And I thought it was super cool. And that you had just a very bright and optimistic vision for what Kidget could do and how Kidget could serve the general public as well as communities that are typically underserved. And anyway, I became an admirer like right away. And so I was really psyched when we got the opportunity to work together on this particular project and um, supporting you with a case study of some of your work in South Los Angeles. Yep. So why don't you talk a little bit with me and with the folks listening about that particular project and um, give us a little background on some of the work that you're doing to serve community. Yeah, Los Angeles is where I was born. 
in California hospital. Okay. True Cali guy through and through. And for the first nine and a half, 10 years of my life, I went to school in LA. I was fortunate where my parents were successful. My dad was LA city fire department. Mm -hmm. He grew up in LA, grew up in the projects in LA. Mom grew up in Pittsburgh, flew out here into California at 19. So they met in LA. So the origin story of me and our family really started in LA. And I remember going over to my grandmother's house and she would watch me and babysit me and take care of me down there in South LA between Crenshaw and Arlington on Adams and serendipity, the universe, God, whatever you called it, blessed us with the opportunity to do a project about one block from where I used to get babysat by my grandmother's house. Does your grandma still live there? No, grandmother moved back to Pittsburgh in 90. She passed away in, wow, it'll be 10 years ago this year. And so having that as one of our first projects with the faith-based organization, and then one of our other big projects, Victory Baptist Church. Mm -hmm. I happened to sit on the board of the nonprofit. MLK spoke on the steps there back in the 60s. Cool. Unfortunately, the church was burned down in November due to arson. We have been working on that project for about three and a half, four years, trying to make sure we got the financing and the funding. Because unfortunately, investors, tech, they do not put resources and intently invest in those type of communities. Mm-hmm. So you had a hard time getting things paid for, getting upgrades, getting utility to jump on board. So fast forward to now, after three years, we finally got permits. Oh, wow. And so we're able to build and construct on the parking lot across the street, charges for the community as they're rebuilding the whole church. Wow. How is the rebuilding of the church going? Still raising financing for it. Okay. So a couple of friends of mine, we know um, the founders of Block Power. They're having yeah. great success. Yeah, they are. I see them everywhere. Everywhere. That's Don really Hattler, cool to see. A killer in the game. He's a yeah. beast. And him and I met back in 2018. Okay. He was trying to help us with this project. Okay. So when he learned about what happened, I hit him up. He said, however, we can help her down. So okay. Block Power now is working intently to see how they could contribute it and help finance the church rebuild. It's important because yeah, the church is where people go, right? That's mm-hmm. the watering hole, especially in communities, unserved, underserved, yeah. untapped. That's where they go. Yeah. Absolutely. They serve so many functions like childcare, um, food. I mean, so they, Victory Baptist, they, pastor's very smart, not getting too much into their business, but he also made sure they invested in the community around them. Okay. So they own property on that street as okay. well. So there's a preschool right there that they own, they leased out every Friday. Even after the church was burned down, they still do their food drive at that site. I do a sock drive every year for the homeless since 2015. I told Pastor about it when we just first met. And then out of nowhere, he said, uh, come to church. We collected 5,000 socks. Yeah. And so there's just really a community aspect and a a sincere care. Mm -hmm. And even though Pastor Jenkins is a Black man, 95% of his community have are hispanic Mm. and the fact that he still take care of the people inspired me showing there is no color Mm -hmm. when you're helping others yeah and that's kind of the reason why and that kind of the big reason why we want to make sure these community types and the people we're hiring are actually folks who live there Mm -hmm. the electricians the masonry the guys who do the cement uh the technicians And that's what we think it's about. And it can be scaled out across the country. Yeah, absolutely. So let's dig into that a little more. I want to talk more about your vision. And um, before we do that, I want to also talk about where your passion came from. You also told me that you come from a family of folks who work in the electric industry. And I think that's kind of an interesting story. So I want to hear about that. But then I also want to hear about where you got your service mindset from. Because a lot of folks who go into entrepreneurial pursuits don't necessarily think about giving back. And so I'm curious to hear a little more about how that came forward for you too. Why do you give back when you do what you do? Well, because you guys have that component here. Well, for me, I mean, are you are you totally evading my question? <laughs> no, because then there's a vibe there because honestly, like 
with me, I can talk and talk about it, but when you you get people together like this who care about what they're doing, that's why we're collaborating. It's still interesting to hear how there might be some overlap. Well, I'm kind of similar to you in the sense that I, I think I I relate to the community that I grew up in. So I grew up in an industrial town in Southern Michigan and we grew up, my dad was a social worker and my mom was a public school teacher and we were considered wealthy in my community, which meant, you know, most of the folks that I grew up with were living kind of in or close to poverty. And were you wealthy? I, no, I mean, no, not at all. <laughs> my parents were the first generation to get out of poverty. They were the first generation of college graduates in my family. And so we, um, and in fact, I'm one of maybe three people in my entire extended family who have a college degree. Whoa. Yeah. So my family is very working class. I'm right now working on a project, kind of looking at my family history. And there's all this stuff that we'll get into in a different podcast. But for me, I see... I see my role as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, as being about wealth generation for myself, but then figuring out how to extend that to others. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I never dreamed that I might be in a position to create intergenerational wealth. It, it was never on my radar. It was never something I even thought was possible. And I certainly didn't know what it meant to go into business. There's not really? a single role model in my family who's done that. So, um, so that was a totally learning, a learning curve for me, but, you know, as we've talked about, my community was also hit by drugs really heavily in the eighties and nineties. Yeah. We lost a lot of people as a result of that, either to, you know, the criminal justice system or to drug overdoses. And for me, I, what I learned from that kind of living through that was that, you know, it's not someone's individual will or fortitude or you know sense of purpose that leads them to their future it's the community that they're in the circumstances that they live in and the extent to which we take care of each other you know I will say as much as there were hard things going on in my community we also had all of these incredible community members who took care of and supported all of the kids so the kids who got out were ushered out you know oh, they right. were they were supported they were built up and they were kind of uh nurtured to grow and grow out of our community so i think about that a lot when i think about what i do with my money and what i do with my time thank you and so uh, when i think about this work the work that we're doing together for me it's about sort of shining light on um, how we can build community and how we can leverage the tools and assets that we have and these opportunities like electrification to create benefit for community rather than just extracting from community. Because, you know, in industrial towns, you spend a lot of time watching things get extracted from your community, yeah. right? You know, everyone's reliant on the factory. The factory leaves, no one has jobs. You know, different kinds of markets come in, <laughs> you know, to um, help folks get by for better or worse, and usually not to the benefit of people, right? And so I looked at sort of the role models I had growing up who created benefit in community and really kind of try to focus on how I do that. And my parents were a big part of that too. Yeah. Yeah. That, so that was a very long answer. To no, but I think that was question. good because I, it, it kind of helped me a little bit with my answer to your question. So the service side really comes from family. Yeah. When you mention drugs, the coming through communities and towns throughout America, especially in black neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. off, off camera, you and I talked about kind of our family background and my mom, I just said, came from Pittsburgh. Yeah. So her sister came with her. Okay. They were two years apart. And my aunt got caught up in that. Yeah, She came to Hollywood, got some acting gigs. She was part of the scene. And then she got too into the scene yeah. and got lost. And I remember being... Like eight or nine years old and my mom and I used to drive downtown LA when it wasn't hip when it wasn't cool with LA yeah. live skid row 12 a.m 1 a.m 2 a.m looking for her sister wow and so when I started doing the sock drive it was because I knew at night when they're cold uh, people who do not have a home usually their socks are wet or they're walking around barefoot so that's where the service side started with me is seeing a need for people who are in need. Yeah. And how do you help them? And then when you talk about 
pulling out of the community, extracting from the community and then trying to share that. I think what you described, how I took it is resourcefulness mm -hmm. and how do we use our resourcefulness to be impactful, Yeah. right? Because you said electrification, but I see electrification, equity and empowerment, all the same thing, Yeah. Right? the triple E's. And when you're looking at brown and black communities or even rural communities, folks are resourceful. They know how to get stuff done with very little. Absolutely. And so when you show them or give them hope and say, hey, look, you can be a tech star. You can be an entrepreneur based on the skill sets you develop because you've had to. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Like when you work with kids and you work with even other adults and they see that, you can see them light up. You can see the hope in their eyes. Yeah. And then what you're essentially doing is creating economic empowerment for the community around so they can thrive. Yeah. And really, I see that being the impact of the work we're doing mm -hmm. and why I do it, because in Los Angeles, Richmond, Oakland, uh, where we're doing projects with Berkeley and other low-income housing mm -hmm. uh, developers, they don't have access. Yeah. To charging, they don't have access to networking, and these folks are the ones that supported us during the pandemic, right? With DoorDash and Uber Eats and all type of delivery. And you look at the future, and everything is going electric, but the power isn't ready. They don't have enough. There's no networks in rural areas, and I just see the future as being something where if no one pays attention, you're gonna have millions of people left out. Absolutely. And so I think it's not necessarily service. It's just also good business. Yeah, it's true. We often think about these things, like when you're serving communities that are being overlooked as being about service or, um, and I hate this word, like being charitable, because yeah. <laughs> I think that's kind of an ugly word, but you're right. I mean, one, it is good business. There are markets that people are com ignoring completely and failing to recognize both the power in those communities and the market opportunity in those communities. And what it what it can do for markets to create wealth in those communities too, right? Because that I mean that's the other thing you need consumers, yeah, in capitalism, right? You need people with money exactly to make that system work. But somehow we forget that. But then the um, but then the other piece that you mentioned is just that it's creating this sort of vision for the future that people are included in. You know, you have and, to you have to include everyone because everyone spends money. Yeah. Even people who talk about not having money still spend money. Oh, absolutely. And you can't overlook um, if you're a business person or a capitalist, an entire market that every day is still spending money. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense. Well, and I always get pissed off when people start referring to markets as these as niche or minority markets. Because when you look at the numbers in reality and you look at, you know, if you consider the American population in general, we're talking about a majority, you know, particularly when we're thinking about folks who do not currently have access to electric vehicles at all because of, cost, you know, the prohibitive cost levels mm -hmm. and then also access to charging infrastructure, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, right now, only the affluent have this. Yes. Or, you know, the upper echelons of the upper middle class, mm. right? And so we're we're also talking about bringing in most folks. Everyone. 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 Yeah. I mean, imagine going. So this is how the industry is set up in charging. Before this year, some of my competitors, you were only allowed to use their charger. Yeah. If you were a member. Right. Or if you had a bank account and there's so many people unbanked, there's millions yeah. of people in America unbanked. So essentially what you said, you cannot participate in the fuel of the future. Yeah. Imagine going to a gas station and they say, oh, sorry, you can't pump gas because you don't have the app. Yeah. It makes no sense. Right. And how are we OK with that being the norm for the future? Everyone who needs gas, regardless of the community, has access to it. Yeah. And so. I just think it makes sense for charging, for transportation, for there to be ways to make things easier. So, for example, electric vehicles are expensive, even the ones that are affordable that look nice. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I don't own an electric car. I had a Tesla, but I don't own a car now. I Uber everywhere. Oh, I rent from Turo, like yeah. the Airbnb. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so one thing we are doing with our um one of our business models, we're creating gig station locations okay. across interstates, 
smaller East Asian emergency hubs at faith-based organizations where you can actually rent a car and swap it wherever you are so that you don't have to have the high cost of ownership, the high cost of insurance. And then just like me, you can rent the cool looking Mustang without any other expenses that come along with the ownership. But now you have access to a car whenever, wherever. And we think that's the future because my daughter and her friends, a lot of them don't even want to drive. Yeah, that's true. And so that's the future and the future is electric and there's no charging and no one plans on putting charging in these areas. Essentially the conversation when I go to DC is um, a whole group of people will be left out. Unless yep. there's entrepreneurs that look like me, that look like Donnell, that look like Camille from Charger Hellbar in the room, in the conversation, talking about little things like your car's ugly, Jim. You make something more stylish. Yeah. Our shoes, our look, everything you see, it's based on our style. The color of our car is personal aesthetics. And we think when you're mindful of that too, you include everyone. It's it's kind of a thing where how you look does matter in certain community types. And that goes under mention when you're talking about mass adoption of EVs. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to make it cool at Kidget. Yeah. At the same time. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting too, because a lot of auto manufacturers are catching on to this. Like instead of having like these weird looking EVs, like a Bolt or what were some of the early ones? The Nissan Leaf. Yes. My daughter tells me yesterday, she goes, dad, I feel like all the electric cars look like electric cars. They do. They do. But auto's catching on. Yeah. I have a Volvo hybrid, a 60 that I- The plug-in? Yeah. How often do you plug in? Never. <laughs> okay, so this is terrible. So this is, here, here I am admitting, one, it's they're impossible to find operational plugs- Out here? Out here in Tucson, just in general. And then every time I pull up to one, like odds are like more likely than not, it's not functional. And then, and then honestly, getting an electrician out to my house to install- and get me set up with my own charger has been a low priority. But honestly, working with a contractor, trying to find and deal with rebate applications, all of that, I like that is, you know, eight hours of work that I don't want to take on right now. No one wants to do it. It's terrible. Nobody wants to do it. And just your, what you just described are millions of people who are curious yeah. about an EV. It doesn't matter their economic status. That is a major issue too. So providing the service side, back to your original question, is something we're doing. Why we work with local electricians. Yeah. Someone like you wants an electric car. You don't want to do the rebate. You want to go through all of that. We have a thing called Kidget Cares. Okay. Where we take care of the burden for you. And we have electricians in our network that will do that for you. That'll go to City Hall. Because folks don't even realize to get a charger in your home, you need a permit approval. Yeah, in some cases, yeah. So... We have a long way to go in the industry for folks who want to buy an electric car, but don't plug in like you. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So <laughs> who actually own one and don't plug, don't in. plug in. I mean, it, it's terrible. And if, you know, if it were all electric, obviously I would have figured it out by now, but I'm sure I keep leaning on my gas lean and I don't drive that much. So, you know, there's it's that okay. Too. We forgive you. Man. I know okay. I feel it's starting to really feel like a confessional it's yeah. okay. Okay. We're doing that right now. This yeah. is also. I know we got really deep. That's okay. Right now. We, we won't judge you. We won't so judge you for not plugging in your plug-in car. Okay. I appreciate that. Yeah. Sure. So anyway, the Volvo, you like it. Oh, she's beautiful. Her name is Freya. I had to give her a Swedish name. <laughs> Swedish car. <laughs> <laughs> that girl. is awesome. Yeah, Freya. <laughs> She's a white exterior, white leather interior, some wood paneling. Yes. It's the nicest vehicle I've ever owned. It's probably the nicest thing I own. Is it big? No, she's, well, I don't know. I'm not a car person. It's smaller than the, than what you're driving around. The, the Ford Mustang. Mustang. Yeah. Just got that from Turo. Shout out to Turo. We're trying to do a deal with you, by okay. the way. Renting all the cars. So part of that, making it equitable. We're going to have Turo cars parked at our charging locations. Okay. Car, there's a service like Zipcar, but for EVs called Envoy, parked at our locations. So that way you can just get used to what is it like to have the plug-in lifestyle before yeah. you actually go in and buy an EV without plugging it in like you did. Yeah. 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 I think it's a great idea. I had looked at Turo actually at one point when I was considering um, getting an EV, but you know, what's funny is that 
this area has so few EV owners who are dialed in at that level to also sign up for Turo that mm -hmm. the, a couple of the people uh, who had them up, I already sort of knew and I was like, I don't know if I want to rent from them. Oh, you got that's that's the whole shift. The whole world now is going to gig. I know, I know, but I'm I'm really old school. I still listen to records and you know No, you're not old school. Yeah. My daughter got me a record player for Christmas. Yeah. I don't own one record, but she owns a bunch. So I, I'm just questioning the intent behind her gift. Oh yeah, you should. Yeah, she um freaking kids, man. So she gets on me because I don't have a car right now. So grandma and village has to help out with her. And so she doesn't like my Turo lifestyle. Yeah, I can imagine. She wants her dad to drop her off. She'll be all right. That's part of it, too. I'm trying to show you want to live what you're selling. You can't yeah. just talk about it. And then for her, creating the option for the future, I'm trying to help parents out. Imagine if I told you. You don't have to pay for a car for your daughter when she starts driving. She just go pick one up at the lot and she could drive any car she wants forever. And you don't have to pay for the cost of luxury insurance. She could drive a Mercedes to school. I would not want my child to Mercedes to school. <laughs> Thanks, Anne. We're supposed to be doing this on the podcast. I'm just being real. She is no teenager needs a Mercedes. <laughs> Yeah, part of being a teenager is eating that humble pie of driving your family's crappy car. Did you ding yours up? My oh, a couple times. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I also had a Volvo, but one of those old square ones. My dad is a Volvo man, he had the old beige one, and oh, it was yes. brown, and yeah. it turned beige because <laughs> of this, the California sun. Yes, yeah, or just Volvo did it either way. Okay, yeah, so I told my daughter. We're going to get her a plug-in hoopty. Yeah, so you need to get her uh, I shouldn't disparage any auto manufacturers. Go ahead. I will, <laughs> since I'm that guy. Because I've been around for long enough, and they need to hear the real. Like the Nissan Leaf, maybe? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. It's okay, Nissan. It's a good car. You guys have made different generation of it. It does V2G, where the car provides power back yeah. to the building. So it's a technological feat in itself. It's just not going to help you get a date, and I'm okay with that. Well, see, there's another reason why you maybe wouldn't want any teenager driving around in too fancy of a car, because then you have to manage dating. That part. Yeah. That part. Yeah. See. And so it's just about everyone having access to an electric car at Kidget, my daughter, you having the fancy one, someone in South LA, giving someone the opportunity to have a job to fix them. We're creating an ecosystem. That's why we didn't name our company EV Charge something. Yeah. It's Kidget. Because we're going to start transitioning into hydrogen because it's also about reducing our carbon footprint. That's another reason why I don't own a car, because it's not just about you plugging in. It's how can we clean the air around us? How can we make life better for those in the communities who typically have poor air quality that impacts their health? So if we can have a blend of different type of fuels. I'm not saying get rid of oil. Gasoline yeah. can't go anywhere. But I think Mother Nature calls for a balance. And I think our role in the industry right now at Kidget is to help provide that balance and usher in this next generation of your daughter, my daughter, whose first cars will probably be a plug-in or a hydrogen. Yeah. So we have to create the infrastructure for them now so that we're not behind 10 years later. And so that's how really we see our contribution and the service in full you know, from the hardware to the jobs, to the technology, to carbon footprint. All right. All right. So I want to switch gears a little bit okay. and talk a more about um, your path as an entrepreneur and some of the things that you're working on to kind of get where you're headed. So talk to me a little bit about how you started Kidget and some of the obstacles you faced and how you've been able to overcome them. Oof. How much time we got? I We're going to have a full Kevin Hart heart to heart. This is show here, He's going to be so proud of me. I've been watching his shows all week just to prepare for this. I'm hoping. I know. I didn't bring any wine barrels, though. It's probably the morning time. It's okay. All right. Um, okay. We snuck mezcal in my coffee. Did we? Maybe. I was hoping. Yeah. Okay. I just got in. I'm only on three hours of sleep because you are like the Kevin Hart of energy to me. Oh, thank you. Something like that. I know that's a complimentary thing. It's about the same height. 
there. <laughs> he would admit that. He would admit that. That was good. That was a good one. He'll be proud of us right now. That was good. And the same age. There we go. Basically, we're the same person. And I'm going to go see his show on Saturday, too. You give him a hug for me. I'm aligned. The energy is there. Yeah. Tell him his girl Anne said hi. For sure. Okay. His twin. Yeah, his twin. Fraternal. <laughs> yes. Right. So I think that, uh, like how we're just riffing right now, honestly, is the only way I've been able to survive in business. Only way. Right, that's true. You need it. It's it's being able to roll with the punches, develop relationships, yeah. because business is really about getting a bunch of yeses. Mm-hmm. And if people don't like you, you can't have fun. If you can't make people feel comfortable, you don't get the yes. That's true. And I had to learn that the hard way over mm-hmm. the years. I mean, you're talking about in 2009, I'm going into cities and ports, yeah. talking about electric cars. Yeah. First of all, no one has heard of an electric car then. And then it's some black guy coming in, talking to you about electric cars, your first time being introduced. Yeah. It's not Bill Nye. It's not Bill Gates. Bill Nye. I love you pick Bill Nye ahead of Bill Gates. Oh, Bill Nye, the science guy. And you, my, I love it. Whatever. Okay. Right. It's awesome. So quick side story. It's 2017. That administration at the time is going crazy with getting rid of climate change studies and they're against science. So Earth Day 2017, I was fortunate enough to go speak at Howard. Okay. But that same weekend was Earth Day and they had a march for science. Oh, nice. So we marched on DC, a whole bunch of nerds and geeks with science is real. Yeah. It was incredible energy. And I've never seen such a polite protest. <laughs> we stopped at every red light. <laughs> Everyone looked both ways. Oh my goodness. And you know who's leading us? Our fearless leader? Bill Nye. Bill Nye. Oh my goodness. So we go... We're marching, we're stopping, we're singing. And then he goes up to the steps of uh, Capitol Hill. Yeah. And they arrest Bill Nye. No. Bill Nye got arrested. Bill Gates never got arrested. That's probably, probably wouldn't have either. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So for Bill me, Nye doesn't have that kind of money. Bill Nye has cachet on now. Yeah. He has street cred. So that's why he goes before Bill Gates. Okay. There you go. All right. I love Bill Nye, the science guy. Shout out to you, Bill. Get me on your podcast, too. <laughs> I'm sure you'll get a phone call. Yeah. yeah. I think we can make that. We should send this to him. We should. We uh, should. You, yeah, you should. I got you. Okay. I got us. Okay. Great. So, like, yeah, just having fun with what I do still. Because I don't, sometimes I wake up in the morning, I'm like, what the hell am I doing? Yeah. I remember for years, I would look at the mirror, because I was a college athlete that transitioned but I was always doing entrepreneur stuff. Mm-hmm. Even in college, if you've done multi-level marketing, everyone mm-hmm. calls them pyramid schemes. I Well, I think that's like every suburban housewife's second income, right? <laughs> no, I don't know that. But my dad always did them. Okay. He did Amway. Oh, and so yeah, yeah. I always thought we were just going to billionaires one day he's gonna hit it big <laughs> and he was successful in his own right worked the fire department fire inspector okay. and so when i saw him doing that i would go to the meetings that's where i got my entrepreneurial bug okay. as a kid okay um and even though as an athlete i always had little hustles i was trying to do um with other creative people okay so after i was done playing college basketball i decided to be part of this multi-level marketing company and I think anyone in entrepreneurship should do it because it teaches you how to deal with rejection. <laughs> That's true. Oh, my That's goodness. True. I think rejection is another key reason why I'm here. That's why you need your kids and Girl Scouts, too. In Girl Scouts? Yeah, those cookie sales. They don't get rejected. Oh, I've never do. heard anyone tell a Girl Scout no for the cookies. They That's do. why they make they meals. Do. They had supply chain shortage issue because everyone says yes. Did you know that? No. They ran out of the uh, small cookies. Well, they're delicious. Were you in Girl Scouts? I was briefly. My daughter was too. And I was a troop leader for a hot second. And she never, you guys sold a bunch of cookies. I bet. No, no, I'm not that kind of parent. I, I mean, let me put it this way. <laughs> I follow my child's lead yes. in her desire to sell. And that usually lasted about like four weeks or one trip around the neighborhood. And I never pushed it. <laughs> I'm not competitive like that. 
I guess it's it's it was for me it was always a it is competitive thing. Yeah. Well, you were an athlete. Yeah. So were yeah. you? Can I tell them? Yeah. You're an athlete. I'm. Well, I'm not. I don't think I'm currently an athlete. Me neither. But yeah. you just gave me that compliment. That's true. Anyone who does roller derby is an athlete for life. No, oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for that. Thank mm-hmm. you. Much tougher than me. Yeah, probably. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm not letting anyone hit on me with some damn skates. Are you kidding me? I don't even like falling at the rink. Don't get by me. Yeah, well, that's the benefit of being 5'2". You get a low center of gravity. You can land a hit really easily. Really, Kevin, there's so much to do. So much. I, really, Kevin and I should be talking. Yeah. He's, Again, he's in town. Get, he's in town this week. Well, get, get the backstage pass and... Got you. Yeah. Okay. I'll tell him the sister said Okay. But yeah, so it was always that. Like it was, it was starting from competition and then wanting to be an entrepreneur in college when I was done with competition. Okay. And those skill sets, working with people, being a competitor, being an athlete teaches you how to work in business. And the one thing I think being an athlete helped with was performing under pressure. Mm especially when there's hundreds or thousands of people watching you in sports, especially in basketball. It's one of the few sports where you get instant gratification and you can instantly fail all within seconds in front of people. Yeah. And you have to pick yourself up. You could turn the ball over. Someone can steal it from you. And in that same second, you can make a jump shot yeah. and dunk the ball and you get that vibe. So I think that carried over when it comes to confidence, being able to get rejected, um, being vulnerable because when you take a, a pressure shot and you miss, you're putting all that weight on you. Yeah. It's a vulnerable moment. Yeah. And I think that helped with the rejection and multi-level marketing, telling people to switch their power and their phone service over to my company I was working with and representing that. Okay. Time. So that's where I got the bug for energy personally was helping people when deregulation happened, getting my mom, my grandma to switch over. So my mom knew better because she's smart and my grandma knew better because she thought I was a con man, but she eventually believed in me. She, my mom worked for Edison and okay. she's in customer service for okay. 20 years. Okay. Grandfather worked for Westinghouse in Pittsburgh. He was on the labor side. Um, so I'm third generation energy and just through serendipity, I just happened to fall into it through the multi-level marketing when I started the company or had the idea of it in 2008 when my daughter was born, um, it was initially just transportation. Okay. And then we looked into how can we evolve the business because transportation is expensive due to gasoline and the rates and the prices are always fluctuating. So we started looking at electric. My daughter's godfather said, look into electric, told him he was crazy. This would never work. We're a decade out. Fast forward 14 years later, here we are. But it's just now, are we starting to have success? Mm-hmm. And it that that sports mentality to stick with it, that multi-level mentality, deal with rejection until you get the yeses, have kept Kidget here after 14 years when everyone said we wouldn't be. Yeah. That chutzpah, that grit started me in the business from athletics to the pyramid schemes. All right. I've never heard someone sell a pyramid scheme so well. They're going to be kids lining up out the door to like sign up for Amway. As they should. Maybe not Amway. Amway's good. So, you know, the owner of Amway bought the Orlando Magic with Amway money. (laughs) Well, I mean, it it works out if you're at the top of the pyramid. I'm just saying. (laughs) Or should start your own. I'm good. What it did more than anything was that um, you ever been to it when we met at the conference? Mm -hmm. It's all this energy. Everyone's excited and people are talking. You were a keynote. You rocked it, by the way, because I didn't leave. So usually after I'm done, I leave because I try not to like shake hands and it feels awkward. Yeah, But I want to hear you speak. Like, you know, when you get off stage. Yeah. So you rocked it. And I remember everyone being excited. Cool. And I tell that story because that's what being in multi-level marketing is like. They get you at those conferences and they charge you up and they speak all this positivity and everyone's rah-rah and we're so excited. And then we go out and we get rejected a thousand times just to hear that one yes. 
and we're good. Yeah. But it started from conferences and I pulled that full circle because I remember going to one of those multi-level marketing events and watching a guy on the stage. And I was like, I'm going to be, I'm going to do that. I'm going to be that guy on stage, inspiring the group, maybe not selling something I don't believe in, but inspiring the group. Yeah. And when you work towards something, just manifested. So it wasn't necessarily that business that I wanted to continue with, but it was inspiring and motivating people to make a switch, yeah. which is similar to Kidget and the multi-level marketing. So that's why I always give credit to that. That's cool. Yeah. Well, it's a fundamental aspect of sales, right? Yeah. You got to get people to make a different choice. And you that's have weird. to persuade them there's going to be long-term value. Well, and you have to deliver on it if you want them to keep choosing you. That's where we've been failing as EV charging industry. Mm-hmm. I'll just say it for from Kidget to the rest of them. Like you said, sometimes the chargers often don't work. More more often don't work than work. Yeah. And that's part of why multi-level marketing doesn't work or some other businesses don't work. It's the product doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And we're the only industry right now that's getting away with it. Well, you know, our industry, the energy industry in general, is a really does a good job of subsidizing products that aren't yet up to par with the goal with the goal of getting the market accustomed to using them but i think it has this unintended consequence right of creating an environment or a situation where folks experience something and have a negative experience and then you have to spend years bringing them back around a good example is a cfl light bulb right okay Everybody hated them. They're fluorescent lights. They make you look ugly under them. They're, you know, makes, you know, have weird lights. Sometimes they flicker. You, if you break them, it's like a hazard because they're full of mercury. Mm -hmm. You have to be very careful. People hate them. Like hate, hate, hate them. How much? So much. So much. (laughs) And, you know, when LEDs came out, which were a much more superior product, people now have a negative association with energy efficient lighting, right? Because we we put out a subpar product for a while. Now it did help to transform the industry. So you could say, yeah, maybe it's worth it, but how much longer is it taking us? Because we didn't do our due diligence to figure out what people really wanted. That's the capitalism, the kind of not issues, but where we want to change capitalism in that way. Yeah. Through naivete, we've made our own product Mm -hmm. and it's been hard and our chargers don't always work either. Um, But one thing we're wanting to do is ensure that the new adopters of EVs Mm -hmm. have a better experience. Yeah. Our chief tech officer, Jodima Stevenson, co-founder, rocked with me for 10 years. He's transitioning into a new role of the company and and he's starting his own business too. He's always said, we're a user experience business. We're not a technology company solving technological issues. We're a technology company solving human issues. And I think if you get the user experience to be more intuitive, if you get it to work, then the adoption, that that curve, then you see kind of uh, explodes instead of it taking its time like we're seeing now. Yeah. Um, No one wants to pull up to a gas pump and there's no gas. Yeah, it's true. And that's the issue. So we've been fortunate to Kidget is part of the National Reliability Consortium. Okay. It was a workshop at the DC Auto Show back in January of 23. It was the inaugural meeting. And you have the joint departments of energy and transportation that are hosting this new committee. And in the meeting, there's the CEOs of my competitors, of every charger company in there, executives of GM, Tesla was invited and Elon didn't show up. Surprise, surprise. Mm -hmm. But it was about getting chargers to work. Yeah, wow. It's a very big deal. Yeah. And it's an ugly secret. And at Kidget, we're trying to do our best to ensure our technology always works in neighborhoods that are untapped. Well, and so let's talk about that a little bit. Because one of the, as you mentioned earlier, models for Kidget is employing folks in the local community. And so is there a benefit to keeping charging operable if you have folks who actually live near the technology who can service it? Yeah, because now you don't have to have an electrician drive from far away to fix it. Mm -hmm. Logistically, it's so much more convenient. It makes sense. Mm -hmm. And for the community, what ends up happening now 
they have a sense of ownership. Yeah. And the stupid question that I get often is, what about vandalism? What happens when you put them in South LA and you put them in East LA and they get broken? And I go, why would why would you just automatically assume that would happen in these communities? Mm-hmm. To me, that's that's that undertone mm-hmm. of how when you would hear the word thug, you knew what they meant. Yeah. And with us, if you hire the people to keep track of others in terms of policing them, making sure our stuff looks nice, giving them jobs to make sure everything is working. It's theirs. And when people have a sense of ownership, people take care of it. Yeah, doesn't matter their economic status or what have you. But if they know they are contributing to the well-being of their community, that matters. Mm-hmm. And so I think what you'll end up seeing is the exact opposite of what's believed that happened when you put new technology in the communities. Yeah. You'll see people excited. I remember back three years ago, we facilitated the first ever uh, electric vehicle network training program. It was a workforce program, two cohorts, 60 people, a third were recently incarcerated, virtual and in-person. Cool stories were guys who were in transitional housing would go back or talk to their friends, in the hood Mm -hmm. and tell them about the work they're doing with us. And they were excited and they were getting their friends excited to the point where he had one of his friends go apply for a job at Tesla with him. Hmm. And they both got it as technicians. Wow. And so that is the effect of when you give people the opportunity, what can happen? Sure. Yeah. That's, that's, that's it for us. So I guess as with raising a child, it takes a village mm-hmm. to raise a child. And I see Kidget as my child. The same day my daughter was born was when I had the idea to start the company. Mm-hmm. And just like my daughter now, I can't be so hands-on. I can't, she's in high school. Kidget's the same age as her. And it's just making sure now you have a team of people that supports the child. So the reason why we've had success recently is because of the team that has supported Jodimus and I. Oh, nice. That village now has given us the confidence to succeed. It started with one of our mentors, Taj Eldridge. He's a VC in climate tech. I've been seeing him around a lot. He has a really cool voice on yeah. LinkedIn. Yeah. He is a climate tech rock star right now. Okay. And if were not for him, we wouldn't have been accepted into any of the tech accelerators. Mm. In the early days, like I said, I started in 2009 to 2017, every incubator, every accelerator we applied to told us no. Mm-hmm. And if we're not for Taj, who was introduced to me through one of our other co-founders, who was a student at UC Riverside, Kidget would not have been into the UCR accelerator. We parlayed that when Taj said, you need to apply for Clean Tech San Diego incubator. Mm-hmm. I was the first minority and first Black co-founder to be accepted into clean tech san diego in 2018 took nine years for us to be accepted by the tech community well in 2018 is pretty late for him to be the first black tech entrepreneur but anyway it's crazy right we're in 2023 and you're still getting a lot of i'm the first black yeah and that um, was discouraging for years because we had to go the non-traditional tech route, right? Everyone yeah. in tech is VC, Shark Tank, mm-hmm. pitches. We went the small business route. Yeah. We got counseling and coaching from the SBDC. Oh, okay. They're the ones who taught me how to pitch. They're the ones that coached me on how to give a business presentation, how to do sales, how to try to generate revenue. Other incubators and accelerators, once we got in, they teach you how to raise money, not make money, and how to give up some of your company. Mm -hmm. So I think when you look in retrospect, we were fortunate to get both. Mm -hmm. When the tech industry didn't accept us, our grit, our resourcefulness, Mm -hmm. being um, an Asian American and a Black American kept us in the space. And then once we got in, we busted through. Then we got into Elemental Accelerator. It's the top 100 climate tech companies in the world back in 2019 when we got in. And I tell that because from Taj, from Jodimus, from Brandon, then the accelerators and incubators, 
that's our village. Mm -hmm. And then when you look at APE, American Association yeah. of Blacks and Energy, that that's a soft spot in my heart because that made me feel like this is real and it can happen. When you're looking at charging, it's the hot new thing now. Yeah. It's like the gold rush. Every week I get a call from someone wanting to open up a new charger station. Sure. And back then that wasn't the thing. Mm -hmm. And what they don't understand, you need to work with the utility. Mm -hmm. And utilities don't like being told what to do. In order to do business with utilities, you have to have relationships. So Abe is an organization where every utility has a chapter of Black entrepreneurs and Black energy people that work at the utilities, executive CEOs, VPs, that come every year to this conference. And it's just like a warm hug. Mm -hmm. And that changed the trajectory of our business, those contacts, those relationships. That's where I met Deidre. And that's where I met the founder of the person who started Shades of Green. Yeah. And that parlayed us into Linda. Meeting Linda. Yeah. And so when you look at the success and the arc of it, if it were not for those people, if it were not for the village, mm -hmm. standing us up and believing in our vision for equity and electrification and empowerment, I would not be sitting here with you today. Yeah. And so you don't do anything without team. Um, you don't do anything without a vision that you really believe and you're passionate about and is genuine. And I think those were the reasons why we're still here today that kept us relevant. And now we're, it was a proud Papa moment the past month. We had our first team retreat. We got like over 11 people on a team. We had a team That's retreat, awesome. private villa. And it was just sessions and it happened organically. And I'm sitting back and I'm like, wow, I'm watching this thing grow. And now my role has changed in Kijit as CEO is to this company now, Jodimus and I have built, is enabling others to live out their dreams through this Kijit. It's yeah. no longer just ours. Yeah. And that energy is being felt. And then when we show up to DC, we're part of this major consortium. And I was the guy who was just banging on doors for yeah. years. We're at the center of power, literally, literally and figuratively. And you look at the list of people who's there and our names on that list. And it shows who's an original equipment manufacturer and who's a service provider. And the only service providers and equipment manufacturers in the industry are Tesla and Kijit. Wow. The others that you see are publicly traded are service providers. They don't make their own hardware. Yeah. And the hardware companies just white label out to the service providers. Mm -hmm. So when I saw that, it gave me even more confidence for the next five years, 10 years to say, we are truly in control of our own destiny. And I close with that because knowing we're in control of our own destiny, the naivete of having to build our own is actually giving us the foundation and the strength now to scale the business. So I got to give much love to Jodimus, yeah. to my parents who actually helped fund Kidget in the early days. Mom took out a $10,000 loan back in 2011 and 12. Mm -hmm. And then our early angel investors, the Webb family, they own 19 McDonald's. They believed in me back in 2010. They told me no at first. We worked our ass off. We did projects with cities, did demonstrations where we actually provide power for the parking lot with a car. Mm -hmm. When they saw that, they decided to invest 100000 without mm -hmm. me asking. Then the next year, Without me asking, they gave us another hundred thousand. So by 2018, we've raised three hundred and fifty thousand dollars from people who just believed in us because we didn't quit. That's so rad. I mean, if you think about the just the whole arc of this story is about people investing in each other, yeah. right? And as you said, like supporting one another and all playing for the same team, as you mentioned. But you're doing that too now with your work and who you're serving mm -hmm. as well. You know, is reinvesting that energy back into communities that's the good juju yeah you have to give to receive and we are fortunate in 2014 we joined the local chamber of commerce there was yeah. a luncheon the vice principal of one of the local high schools said can you do an internship program with us okay. that was our first community opportunity we we're still trying to find our way and Having that internship program with that school district for two years showed us that me and Jodimus, we can have a team. There's value. Kids want to be educated. The next generation is interested in this. And from there, we're able to partner with other organizations to show mainly we care. We want to give jobs. And if we're not for those internship programs, 
we wouldn't have had the opportunity for sales. Yeah. And so it was actually the community component of our business, even though we're for-profit, that helped propel our for-profit business. Yeah. I know everyone seems to think that there's only one way to give back to community and it's only through nonprofits. And it's not mutually exclusive. They're not mutually exclusive. And I think it's really interesting to think about the ways that businesses, particularly small businesses, independently owned businesses, have the opportunity to really build and empower communities. Oh, yeah. You know, that's the dream, right? I mean, the American dream. That's the American dream. And what you're seeing now is a blend of Amer- all Americans now have the opportunity mm-hmm. to contribute. Yeah. Um, either if you find your own pathway, and that's what I, with our story. Yeah. Um, we just never quit. That was the beauty of it. We believed in it. We saw vision. It's stuck in our heads, and we just have to get it out mm-hmm. regardless. And so now you're looking at we got a $2 million grant from the California Energy Commission. My first multi million dollar deal took me 13 years. Yeah. Where I knew, I know of people who just created a pitch deck, mm-hmm. said they're going to start a charger company, never made a charger, never installed a charger, and raised $2 million in months. Yeah. They just happened not to look like me. Yeah. And that's just part of it. But fortunately for us, now we can inspire millions of other kids who look like our team, which is 100% minority. That's right. It's so cool to just watch you guys do your thing. And, um, and like I said, from the moment I first met you, you um, were, are, were such an inspiration and had so much energy on stage and such a vision for what you were doing and what you were building that I think that that energy is really contagious. You know, um, I always love connecting with you because we get the opportunity to like build each other up and talk about hard things, but it never feels hard, mm-hmm. which is nice. You know, you kind of need that. But um, but I think more importantly, you are serving as a model for what it can look like to do things in a way that is both prosperous for your organization and also doing right by the people who have supported you and the communities that you're working in. Yeah. And that's not common. You know, that's not a um, something that you see every day. And so it's also something you should feel really proud of. Thank you. It takes a lot of intention to do that. Thank you. It's um, the people. Um, my daughter's mom. Yeah. And my mentor. So daughter's mom and I, we have a beautiful kid. My daughter was born on my birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, she helps keep me straight too. She's the one that said, dad, wear your cornrows when you go to the White House. They've never seen a black man in cornrows at the White House. That's not there for sports. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she's the one that gives me ideas, honestly, for some of the creativity at Kitchen. I got to give cool. her a lot of credit. And then her mom. So we're not together. We were young when we had her. Her mom's happily engaged, wonderful guy she's about to marry. They have a nice family life over there. I'm so proud of her and that mm-hmm. and how we co-parent. But she always used to tell me when times were tough, when we were going through it, figuring it out. Mm-hmm. And I would say, yeah, I did this. I picked her up. I did this. I took her to this. She goes, what, you want a cookie? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I want a cookie. You want a Scooby snack? For what? You For doing what you're that. supposed to be doing. No Samoas for me, because she says that's what I'm supposed to be doing. And so my whole thing now with my kid is I'm just supposed to do that. Then my mentor, uh, Reggie Webb, the patriarch of the Webb family, one of the first entrepreneurs to ever own McDonald's. He was the first ever international franchisee president. We got like a small grant. I was banging my chest. He said, good. Now you must do more. So that is always in my head. The job's not done. Yeah. You must do more. You do not get a cookie for doing what you're supposed to do. And as humans on planet Earth, I think we're just doing what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah. And you should also get a cookie. I should. You can have a cookie. I want cookies. We actually have I some want, Samoas here. I want cookies. I want cake. I want billion dollar valuation. There you go. There you go. That's what comes yeah. with it. Put it out there. there Put it, it out there. Yeah. You guys hear us? We're raising money. You investors, you automotive companies, come check us out. You have more fun with us than any other company, clearly. Yeah. And invest your money with some cool guys that like cookies. Yeah, there you go. And you know what? When you get your billion dollar valuation, we'll have a cookie and cake party for you. We'll have much more than that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
Absolutely. We might even spring for like a chocolate fountain oh, to get crazy. Yes. Get crazy. <laughs> awesome, Paul. I'm so glad that you came to sit in my office with us and have this conversation. Like I said, I always love connecting with you and it's really cool to hear your story. I can keep, I keep listening to it. It's really fun to just, you know, understand you, understand Kidget more and, and to be able to, you know, be in your corner cheering for you. Thank you. You're so sweet. That's true. Um, you inspire me. That's why Thanks. I couldn't wait to come out here. Um, anytime I get a chance to connect with you and your team in person. Yeah. We went out to DC. Yeah. I'm on the first flight to get it. So just thank you. Continue the good work you're doing. And I appreciate the opportunity to share and get my message out. Yeah. Our home is your home. Remember you said that. All right. <laughs> Remember you said that. That's all right. We have, we have some extra office spaces. You're always welcome. Sounds good. All right. Cool. Thank you, everybody. I hope you enjoyed listening to Paul as much as I enjoyed talking to him. This session was brought to you by the Alone Production team. Music by Blue Dot Sessions. And we look forward to talking to you next time. Take care, everyone.